Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, Hope in the Midst of Suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. I'm not preaching this morning, but I have the beautiful privilege of uh, introducing our guest speaker this morning. So we are blessed to be in the company of Reverend Noah Kim, and uh, he is a great friend of our church, he's a great friend of uh, Michael's, and he is the lead minister of uh, Paradise Point Uniting Church. And he had a sense of a call on his life to minister for the gospel and to plant, uh, to lead a church here. And even though there was a bit of uh, doubt or maybe just a struggle with moving from South Korea here and having English as his second language and all the obstacles that that requires, he has faithfully been following the call of God and being obedient to that sense of desire and call that God put in him. So I know that you are going to be very blessed by his uh, speaking this morning. He is married to Gabby and they have two young boys together and uh, it is a delight to have him speak with us this morning. But he's asked me to read our Bible verse that we are going to be centering around this morning. So if you will turn with me, we are continuing in our series on 1 Peter and we are up to chapter 3 in the uh, letter of 1 Peter. We're reading from verses 13 to 17. Peter writes, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it, is better, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Thank, this is the word of the Lord. Let's welcome up Reverend Noah Kim. Good morning, friends. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome. I am so grateful <clears throat> to be with you this morning. Uh, coming here this morning, there was this one thing, <clears throat> excuse me, there was this one thing that I was a little worried about. I have a strong Korean accent. <laughs> And I tend to speak slowly when speaking in public for that reason. So please forgive me if you find it difficult to understand me today. I have two sons, Daniel and Caleb, a four-year-old and a 21-month-old. One of the fun things that I get to do with my boys is joining, joining them at their friends' birthday parties and meeting other parents. But then I would almost always face this awkward moment at those parties. That is when I am asked this question, 
What do you do for living? <laughs> Most of the time, I would reluctantly reply, and there is a reason for that. One time, I had this guy. He was the father of my son Daniel's friend. He was the host of the party. After hearing that I was a pastor, this man started calling me father at the party. <laughs> He probably thought that priests and pastors were same. And my four-year-old boy got so confused that day. <laughs> at my son's friend's birthday parties, I have had people who said they needed to get more food and left the table, but then never came back. <laughs> I've had people who apologized to me for some colorful words that they had used in the conversation. And I've had people who suddenly talked to me about their grandmothers who were churchgoers and asked me if I knew them. <laughs> Being a pastor and dad is fun. It is great fun. There is this theme woven through Peter's first letter to the early church. That is... Christians' presence in the world makes the majority of people feel uncomfortable and Christians live in the tension. In the earlier part of the letter, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter says that we Christians are being watched all the time. Christians are being watched in our response to our government Christians are being watched in our response to our employers and colleagues at work. And he says, Christians are being watched even in our homes, in our response to our husband and wife. When I was a child, my mother was a full-time working mom. She was a hairdresser, and she was the only Christian in her family And my father was not Christian until when I was 20. When I was a child, my mother would often say this to me. Noah, of all days of the week, I love Sunday the most. When I go to church, it feel, I feel like I am at home. I feel peaceful when I am at church. Now I am in my 30s. And I understand why she would say that. From Monday to Saturday, we Christians live in tension, don't we? At our workplaces where the majority are non-believers, we would try to do what is right, but some people might not like that. In some cases, our employers might not like that. In our homes, our faith gets challenged at times, as our unbelieving children and spouse might ask us hard questions of faith. Today, in general, it is not easy to live life ethically and honestly and follow moral principles defined by the Bible. They are not popular principles today. 
At one point, as Christians, we'd all ask ourselves this question. Is it really worth it? What do I do when I feel pressured in my workplace, in my marriage, and in the world for what I believe? Why would I want to be a professing Christian when I am already living in this tension? Today's passage answers those questions, and we are going to explore that together this morning. Are you still with me? As we begin, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that you have timely and the right word for every season and every stage of our lives. This morning, you've gathered us as your people for your purpose and glory. And we thank you that we've just seen your glory manifested in our worship and praise and prayers. Lord, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would make your presence known to us. And that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you come and breathe on us? And shine your light to the truth that is revealed to us in your word. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In the name of our Redeemer and Savior, we pray. Amen. Now, here is a question. Have you ever wondered why Christians would feel pressured living in the world today? Where does that tension come from? You might have heard of the philosopher named Alan Bloom. He once said something very interesting. He said this, Today, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. That is, almost every student entering the university believes or says he or she believes that truth is relative. What is this philosopher saying? Today, you and I are living in a time and age where the idea of absolute truth is unwelcomed, rejected, and undermined. The Bible says that is why Christians would feel pressured in the world today. In today's passage, Peter begins by asking this rhetorical question. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? The implied answer here is nobody. Now, would you think about this with me for a moment? People generally love people who help other people, don't we? No one would be against what is good. And Christians are loved by the good things we do. But tension is there because Christians not only do what is good, but also do what is right. As Peter says here, Christians would pursue what is right in God's eyes to the extent of suffering for it. 
And that causes tension. The other day, my four-year-old boy had his feet in his shoes in the opposite way. And I went over to him and said, Son, that is not how you wear your shoes. And I tried to help. But his response was funny. He said, Dad, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's new. Where did you learn to say that? We don't like it when others tell us what to do, do we? We would say, what is right for you might not be right for me. Just don't force it. What is wrong for you is not wrong for me. But Jesus says that the gospel that his followers represent is like a narrow gate. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel that we Christians represent will sound exclusive to the world and people do not like that. Gospel is good news, but it is also unwelcomed news. What is it that Peter is telling us here? Our faith and the way we live in our commitment to Christ will cause tension in the world and that we should not be surprised by it, but be prepared for it. On the flip side, I wonder if today's passage is inviting you and me to think about something this morning. It invites us to ask ourselves this question. Is my Christianity causing any godly tension where I am? Is my pursuit of God and love for Christ causing any godly discomfort in the unbelieving world at all? The text says it really should. It really should. In John 3, what does Jesus say? He says, the light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light. Friends, light cannot be hidden in darkness. Jesus says this to us this morning. Don't be surprised by the tension. It is a part of our walk. It is a part of our journey. Suppose you just finished shopping at Pacific Fair. You are now in your car driving through the car park. You then pull over at a boom gate and you are reaching where you kept your wallet to pay for parking. Then you see all those cars start lining up behind you. Now, how would you feel if you can't find your wallet at that moment? You are now stuck between the boom gate and the cars behind you. Peter says that is how we would feel at times being Christian today. Here, Peter is applying <clears throat> what the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said. When Syria and North Israel were coming down to pounce on Judah, he said these words to the king of Judah. Do not fear 
their threats. Do not be frightened. What is Peter saying here? Friends, we will be cornered and forced into a situation that it is hard to escape from because of our faith in Christ. We will be embarrassed by the questions we are going to be asked, and at times we will feel there is no one to help us. But do not fear. Do not be frightened. Then what do we do? Peter continues and says, In your heart, reveal Christ as Lord. In your heart, reveal Christ as Lord. Now, what does it mean to reveal Christ as Lord? When Gabi, my wife, and I were in Korea about a month ago for our holidays, one of my mother's friends took us out for lunch. She had a very interesting story. She is now in her mid-60s, but when she was younger, she founded a trading company and made a lot of money. At its highest point, her company's yearly turnover was over $10 million. But sadly, she made this wrong decision, and it affected the whole company, and it never recovered from the hit. Telling her story, she said something very interesting to me at our lunch. She said something like this. Noah, I am so grateful for my failures. When my business collapsed, I set out to find life's meaning, and there Jesus met me. I was lost, but he found me. I've lost many things, but now, finally, I have what I really needed. Jesus is the greatest treasure. What does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? It means to treasure Christ above all things, above all my worries and fears, above all my privileges, my hopes and dreams, and above all my failures and disappointments, as He is indeed the greatest treasure. Amen? Friends, we all remember the first time when we fell in love with Jesus, don't we? Do you remember the time when your heart was finally opened to Christ and His love was poured into your heart? Do you remember how the wonder of His mercy electrified every fiber of your inner being as you looked at His cross? To revere Christ is to reconnect with that moment and reaffirm our love and commitment to Him. Now, in Paul's day, sorry, Peter's day, if somebody got up in a room like this where many people gathered and said, I believe Jesus is God, no one would have stopped them. People had no problem with People believing in gods. They lived in a polytheistic, multi-faith culture. But if somebody got up and said, I believe that Jesus is Lord, that statement would have gotten them into big trouble. It would have endangered his or her life immediately. 
as the term Lord was to be used only for Caesar, the emperor. Here, Peter uses the word Lord intentionally. Now, what does it mean to revere Christ as Lord in our hearts? Colossians chapter 1 says this, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Hallelujah. Today, you and I have Christ in our hearts. Do we believe that this morning? To revere Christ is to reconnect with that reality day and night at every possible moment. Treasure Christ above all. Would you think about this with me for a moment? Christians have always been a misunderstood minority in the world from the very beginning. From the very beginning, they lived in the tension. But why haven't they given up? What sustained them for 2,000 years? And today, why would you and I not give up? Jesus says this in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Friends, Jesus has chosen us. That is why we would not give up. It is his commitment to us that sustains us. This morning, in your world, are you experiencing much tension because of your commitment to Christ? That means you are chosen by him. He is with you. He is with us. Then Peter continues and gives us a piece of practical advice. He says this, Now, living in the tension, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Here, the phrase, give an answer, translates from the Greek word apologia, which in English we get the word apology from. But this doesn't mean we are to feel sorry for being Christian. Apologia is a legal term that is used when a lawyer gives a formal proclamation in defense of his or her clients in the courtroom. The word here means to offer explanation. This is the word from which we get the word apologetics from. Now, you'd agree with me on this. Our non-believing friends have great questions, don't they? And there are great answers to those questions. Here, the text says, 
The Christian faith is not irrational. It is not a blind commitment, but it is reasonable. The Bible encourages us to reason, explore, and study our beliefs so that we offer explanations about our beliefs. But then Peter also says, do that with gentleness and respect. Uh, you might have heard of a Scottish evangelist named Henry Drummond from the 19th century. He wrote this. We are born questioners. Look at the wonderment of a little child in its eyes before it can speak. <clears throat> the child's great word when it begins to speak is why. Every child is full of every kind of question about every kind of things that moves and shines and changes in the little world in which it lives. There is the incipient doubt in the nature of a man. Respect doubt for its origin. It is an inevitable thing. It is not a thing to be crushed. It is a part of a man as God made him. It's beautiful, isn't it? Now, this quote makes us think, doesn't it? It leads us to ask ourselves, how do I treat my questioners? How do I react to those who oppose to my Christian beliefs? In my early years in being Christian, I lost a few friends trying to win the argument. It still grieves me till this day. I have been married for seven years, and here is one thing that I learned from it. People may not remember the words we speak to them, but they remember how we make them feel when we speak those words to them. Peter says, be gentle and respectful toward your questioners when defending the gospel. Be careful that though we may win the argument, we might lose them. Now, let me finish with this story. You may have heard of the story about the man named <clears throat> Graham Staines. He was an Australian Christian missionary. He and his family served in India in the 90s. In 1999, one night, Graham was out in the jungle, ministering at a camp. That night, he had his two boys, Philip and Timothy, with him, an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. And they were staying in his jeep, spending the night for the next morning. Then, around midnight, Militant Hindus came and set the fire on the jeep. Very sadly, Graham and the boys were killed by the crime. They were <clears throat> burnt to death. Next day, when the fire cooled, the charred body of Graham was shown with his arms clutching his two boys. What was the reason for the crime? The reason for the hatred was simple. Graham and the boys were burned to death simply because they were Christian. But here is what is remarkable about the story. 
When Gladys, Graham's wife, heard about the tragedy, she decided to write a letter that was going to be published in every newspaper in India. And over a billion people would read it. And this is what she wrote. I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter, bitter, neither am I angry. But I have a great desire that every citizen of this country will establish their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sin. Let us burn hatred and spread a flame of Christ's love. And Gladys said she and her daughter would continue to stay in India and serve the people of India for the rest of their lives. Now, if someone asks me today, Noah, could you do it? Would you do the same as Gladys did if your wife and your two boys were killed bearing witness to Christ? Would you forgive your enemies and continue to do what is right in the eyes of God? My honest answer to you is, I do not know. I really don't, but I hope I will. Reading the word, I know where I would go to draw the strength from if that happens. And I think that you would also know that too. What does Peter say in the last verse? He says, keep a clear conscience. Would you think about this with me for a moment? Here, Peter is saying, Christians have a clear conscience. Now, that is a bold statement that might sound arrogant, isn't it? How is one's conscience made clear? Can we ourselves make it clear? Can others do it for us? No. Then how is our conscience ever made clear? Here Peter is alluding to Christ's work on the cross. He is alluding to the gift of salvation and the hope that you and I have in Jesus Christ. Here he is alluding to Christ's blood that has made us clean. Friends, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And to validate that, he rose from the dead three days later. We who were once hopeless and dead in our transgression are now raised to a new life. Hallelujah. How do we persevere in the unbelieving world today? Why would we still choose to do what is right in God's eyes when the world does not get us? Why would we still choose to walk through the narrow gate when others avoid it? Look at the cross. It is the empty cross. Look at Christ's tomb. It is an empty tomb. Our hearts are free. We have a clear conscience that God fully accepts because of Jesus Christ. You and I have the eternal life and the gift of salvation forever secured in Jesus Christ. 
when Graham Stain was killed, they asked his 13-year-old girl, this young girl, how do you feel about your father's death? This young girl said this, and I quote, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. A clear conscience. She knew that her father had it before the Lord. Friends, look to Jesus Christ. He is risen. When Stephen was being stoned to death for Jesus' name, he looked up to heaven. Do you remember what he saw at that moment? The scripture tells us that he saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the New Testament, that is the only time that we see risen Christ who is now with the Father giving a standing ovation to anyone. Hallelujah. Friends, our Lord knows our pressure. He knows about the tension that you and I are experiencing in this world as we choose to live for Him. This means the best is yet to come for those who persevere and endure for His name till the end. Look to Jesus Christ, the one who began a good work in you and me will carry it onto completion until we see Him face to face. And friends, know that you are loved by Him. Look to Him. He is risen. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. We thank you for the gospel message. We thank you for the reminder that you've raised us to new life from death. Thank you, Holy Spirit, who does that work in us. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come now and breathe on us? That all the spiritual senses in our heart would be awakened, that we may see you more clearly and hear you more clearly. Father, in this world, there is tension, there is a trial, there is a test, there are challenges, but we know deep in our heart that you rose from the dead and you will one day return to make every distorted and twisted thing right. Father, we fix our eyes on you as your Holy Spirit enables us. Oh God, would you come and breathe on us, we pray. Do your work in us. In Christ, your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.